0: Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth with your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie.
1: Welcome into another episode of the Money Insights Podcast, the alternative wealth building podcast for high income earners. Whew, it's a mouthful, Rod. <laughs> How you doing, my friend?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, I got out this morning. I've got like thirteen or fourteen thousand steps in. What time yeah. is it? It's it's about eight a.m. So, man, I'm I'm feeling you got out when dirty it was still dark. Day. Oh yeah, I I usually do. It's real. It's been fun. I like to bundle up. So, but luckily, Rod, I bought I bought myself one of those really cool heated coats. Okay. You know? All right. Yeah. So I'm out there like... So I do the elliptical and kind of my, you know, indoor exercise, at, obviously inside my house, right? But then I, I just like the feel of being outside and getting air. So I usually will go on like an hour walk, like a nice brisk 5 a.m. walk. Yeah. And man, it just is a good way to start my day. So I am feeling great. Thanks for asking. But Rod, that is not why people are tuning into this podcast. So why don't we get into today's fun? Okay, so today we're going to talk about well, maybe I'll just introduce it this way. Today's title is the six pillars of investing with benefits, and how the investment optimizer checks all the boxes, all of them. That's a bold statement right there, Rod. Are you sure that the investment optimizer is going to check all of them? Those are thats six very different boxes. Yeah,
2: we're going to have to see how it goes. There's a lot of stuff to
1: check, my friend. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited. Um, I'm putting you on the defense. Apparently, I just made it your job to prove that that statement is true. Okay,
2: well, I think I'm up to it. We'll see how it goes.
1: Okay, okay, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, Rod, so... Kicking things off. Oh, actually, b- before we get in, anything crazy, new, interesting going on in your world? Uh, any well, any big recently, announcements? It feels like there's like a wedding. Usually, like half the time, I ask this question.
2: It, we have had a lot going on, and maybe what I'll do is give you an update. So, our son, who uh, I mentioned, is is on a mission. Mm-hmm. He uh, originally was was set to go to Brazil. He's still waiting for his visa. So he finished his training and now they sent him to Knoxville. So he's hanging out
1: all doing
2: right prosliding in in Knoxville until his visa comes Knoxville's through and then head on to Brazil. So yeah. Assuming and in it fact comes through. that that mission includes some areas of like North Carolina. So the Asheville area is is part of it. Uh, I know Asheville. So, yeah, see?
1: I spent a I spent a few months in the the backwoods of Bryson City. Okay. Bryson City, yeah, Bryson City, which is like forty-five minutes away from Asheville. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's it's like right there in the Great Smoky Mountains. And uh, when I okay, talk to anyway. people who
2: know what they're sa- talking about, I have I'm have to retrain myself. It's not Knoxville. That's what I would normally. Oh, think. Oh shoot, Knox- what is it? Knoxville.
1: Oh my Knoxville. bad. My apologies.
2: Nashville. Nashville. Yeah, you have to be careful yeah, on those. Yeah, my
1: apologies. I I should I should know that. I've spent enough time in the South that I should have a better idea on that. My my apologies to anyone that's uh, yelling at me through the. <laughs> okay, Rod. Let's get into it. First off, we, remind us. Well, is this the first time we're rolling out the six pillars?
2: No, we did the. Uh, the we already did the unleashed.
1: Okay, we unleashed so it, check and that, that one, one we we put out the six men Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, so then just do a quick reminder, what are the boxes that we're actually going to be checking? So what I'm really asking is what are the six pillars of investing with benefits? So there's at least some context for whether the investment optimizer actually will check all those boxes.
2: Yes. Okay. So pillar number one is leverage and we always emphasize conservative leverage. Pillar number two two is velocity.
1: Velocity, we had more. a fun conversation about velocity earlier this yeah, week. Yeah, we God. did. Yep. And maybe don't... maybe we'll circle back to that. Yeah, we don't right? ever leave any kind
2: of uh, definitions to rest. We got to make sure that we're yeah. very clear and precise on what sure. we're doing here. So, okay. so we'll get into that. Uh, pillar number three is cash flow. Pillar yes. Pillar number four is tax optimization.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Pillar number five is asset protection. Asset protection. Okay. And number six, and, estate maximization.
1: Okay, so you're telling me that the investment optimizer, which is, to be clear, a, a we'll call it perfectly structured whole life insurance policy, usually, but we'll just say mm-hmm. permanent life insurance policy that is structured to maximize the amount of cash and we're using as an opportunity fund to invest. Really simple, but those—that's the nuts and bolts. Okay, and you're telling me that that one vehicle can do does all those things. I think it's—I mean, I think it's a heavy burden it's carrying. That's all I'm saying. So I'm just—I'm just looking forward to understanding how that actually works. So where do you want to start, Rod, and what angle do you want to take on this? Uh,
2: Okay, so we talked about how for just for some like backstory. If you want more details on some of these things, we talked about our. Uh, Invest with Benefits Unleashed episode, where we guess we, we unleashed talk more about a few the, weeks six, ago. the six pillars. Yep, so check that <laughs> out. And then obviously we have done several different episodes as it relates to investment optimizer, deep dives and things like that. So, uh, and yeah, and if our, you want to you know, understand
1: like the nuts and bolts, the deep dive is the place to go. Yep, for sure. Actually, deep dive. We have a deep dive one and a deep dive number two. They're about a year apart. Yeah. So I would just go straight to deep dive number two.
2: Yeah. I'm just saying it was this last spring. I can't remember. I didn't. I didn't get the numbers. I was good with the numbers here. Uh, you know, last time. That's
1: true. You have been good with it on the fly. Sort of not Google. not so much. Maybe. Well, okay. Okay, I'll, I'll forgive you this time, Rod. Okay. Okay, keep us going.
2: Okay, so um, maybe we can talk. So you gave us like the the thirty thousand level. View on the investment optimizer, and as we go through the different pillars, we're gonna we'll we'll kind of dive deep in in some of these different areas so that we can prove this out.
1: Okay, okay. maybe okay. we Let's just add, that makes sense to me. I'm with you. So here's what we're gonna do, Rod. We're gonna start with leverage, and you're going to tell me, and and we'll take turns, right? But yeah, you're gonna tell me how the investment optimizer accomplishes. The objective of utilizing leverage effectively.
2: Okay, perfect. Okay, so how does it work? So how yeah, first happen? let's let's define leverage. So leverage is uh, most often we're we're talking about debt, and and it does that. And we're also going to get into some other ways where it is um, making more of different elements of it, just because of the way it's structured and the way that it works, and and the way that that we kind of bring value to the to the picture. Okay, so but so first of okay. all, let's talk about leverage in the traditional sense. We are using a loan inside of this plan. In other words, we put money into the account. That's an asset sitting there inside of the cash value of the life insurance policy. When we are going to go invest, we're not actually taking our money out. We take a loan from the insurance company or, or in some cases from the bank, depending on interest rates, using the cash value as collateral. So we're quite literally using a loan to do that. And what that does is it allows us to create value in multiple places with the same dollars. In other words, the cash value stays there, continues to grow, compounding the money that we took a, as a loan we've used to go and, and done. We're investing with it, right? And it could be investing anywhere. But Often people will ask me, well, what kind of stuff will they let me do it? Well, the point is your money is there collateralizing the loan. So it doesn't matter. They don't, they're not even going to ask what you're going to use it for. You can totally do whatever you want.
1: So Rod, you're saying that this it's not rhetoric when we say leverage. We're not talking about like like leveraging time. We're talking about literal leverage of money. Yeah. Which means I have to use someone else's money, right? The idea of other people's money to invest, that's how I that's how I create, create leverage. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. So so do you want to get into like how it does that more specifically? Sure, or is that yeah. Too much for today. Well,
2: in, again, you, you get, you'll get more of this in the deep dive, but one of the things that, that really um, creates this value and because sometimes I'll, I'll mention this whole loan component, people like, well, doesn't that mean I haven't, I'm paying interest. So if I'm earning money over here, but I'm still paying interest, doesn't that kind of cancel each other out? And, and I'll, to be really clear, we're not saying that, that we're trying to just create like an interest rate arbitrage. In other words, I'm earning about 5%. I'm paying about 5%. So in terms of like pure interest rate, you would think it's a wash, right? But what happens is as I take that money, I go and invest with it. It creates money coming back. We'll get into a little more on the cash flow and things like that in a minute. But as it's flowing that money back to me, I'm putting that back into the policy which is covering the interest and then paying down the principal of the loan. And what happens is I'm paying simple interest on the loan side, but my account that's collateralizing the loan is is growing on a compounding basis. So even, again, going back to this whole interest rate thing, even at the same interest rate, over time, I end up earning a lot more in just pure dollars and cents because of the compounding effect compared with the interest I'm
1: paying on a shrinking value. I do think that's something that people can get stuck on, right? Like um, it, it's been a while since I've been on calls with people regularly, but mm-hmm. I certainly remember getting the question or, or having confusion around this idea, of, especially if you're talking about like a direct recognition situation, I'm, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but, but the point being, it is confusing at that initial level when you hear someone say, you're going to get ahead, but you're paying five and earning five, mm-hmm. you have to actually do the math a little bit and understand. And then once you do it, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And it becomes really simple and you can move on. But it's an important step because if you don't believe it and understand the math, then you know it's going to break down pretty quickly.
2: Yeah. And a teaser for, for something you'll see in, in one of the webinars, we show an example where someone takes a $100,000 loan. To go out and invest in something they're paying the, the interest back and the, and the cash value is compounding well over I think it was a 20 year amortization payback on that they ended up paying a total of 67,000 in interest but they earned 167,000 in interest there's a hundred thousand dollar difference in what you earned versus what you paid solely because of that difference in compound versus simple
1: yeah it's pretty wild okay um, okay, Rod. So those are the ways that that the investment optimizer creates. Actually, there's some other ways that I think are important, and um, we don't talk about these enough. But what I would call the secondary benefits or the ancillary benefits, which by the way are oftentimes the the core benefits, mm-hmm. right? So obviously, life insurance in its purest form is paying for a death benefit, yeah. right? well, we're using the living benefits. We're maximizing the ability to use cash for the cash value to invest. And it has this like unique, these unique features that we're taking advantage of. But I, I like cringe a little bit when we forget Mm -hmm. the additional value that we're getting in two ways, right? One, we're actually accomplishing, we're getting death benefit, right? Where maybe it's long-term care benefit as, as well. Yeah. We're, and we're going to talk about some of these other benefits, like like asset protection, right? We're getting some of these ancillary benefits, um, and those are things that we might otherwise have to go and pay for or um, you know accomplish in some other way. But what's happening is is we're getting that while we're also getting ahead on the pure cash, right? Yeah. So if you just if you just isolate and you said let's throw out the death benefit, let's throw out like a bunch of these other things. You would you would get ahead just by running running your money through the policy, paying simple interest, um, earning compound interest, just just kind of working the system. Mm-hmm. But then, in addition, you have these other these other things that could end up being an incredibly big deal, especially if you know, heaven forbid, you're to die um, when you're younger and your family, you know, maybe you're still in that you're still creating or you're still on the pathway to the wealth that you want to build. Well that like that changes things because you're now in a position where you can basically get the result that you're wanting regardless of whether you're alive or not. I know that kind of yeah. sounds weird, but yeah anyway, okay, so there's my there's my rant on the ancillary benefits. I think they're a big deal and oftentimes I am guilty myself of just not emphasizing or talking about them because we're so focused on helping investors create additional return on mm-hmm. their money.
2: Mm-hmm. And maybe said a different way, we're, we're creating that five plus percent tax-free IRR and creating these other things, right? Nice. That, that five plus percent is net of, of the costs that go to pay for these other things.
1: Rod, are you saying that like three or four minute rant that I just went on could have been just completely avoided had I just let you t- talk earlier? No, nope. You could have given us that like 15 second <laughs> set another way and I'm like, oh, shoot. No. I'm just kidding. That was good. That was good. I appreciate you summing it up. Okay. Second one, Rod, we need to keep moving. Let's talk velocity. Velocity is one that I think is a little bit abstract. This is the one that we had a conversation about because yeah. um, sometimes when I remember when I would hear this, like, and this kind of sounds weird because I'm actively in the industry and I, I hear people use these ter- this terminology all the time. I use the terminology all the time, right? But sometimes it can be kind of abstract when we're thinking like, okay, what does this like actually mean? in like the, in a real sense, like we know it's about like moving our money faster, but like how does that actually result in something more impactful? Well, what I came to the easiest way that I came to understand it is just that velocity is another way, just like leverage. It's another way that we can drive the return higher, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we move our money faster, we give it a chance to create a better annualized return. Yeah, it's pretty simple, right? Yeah. But anyway, that that's that's kind of the way that I think about it. Rod, talk about what velocity is and kind of the context that you usually explain it in.
2: Yeah, velocity is is where it, we're basically talking about the speed at which you invest your money and you get it back in some form so there's different different ways that that happens right so you can invest Hmm. in something that creates a, a specific like cash flow coming back to you that is basically returning your money right yeah keeping it in motion keeping it going and because there's a big difference between what we talk about irr which is basically breaking it down to an annualized return compared with when a lot of people talk about just like roi they may be like, "Hey, I I made this investment and I got a whatever fifty percent return or a one point seven multiple on my money," and but it, if if it takes two years to do that, that's obviously a very different story than if it takes ten years to get the one point seven multiple, right?
1: Yeah, that's and, you break and, it, back and to it really the is kind of like it is kind of silly to like isolate it just to ROI without having a time frame, right? So that that part kind of becomes like. A critical element because like you said it is definitely not the same if you do it over five years or if you do it over six months or a year right your yeah. return obviously the longer it takes the lower your irr or your annualized return
2: yeah so ultimately that's what we're talking about when it comes to velocity okay so now the question is well great rod that's you're talking about it in terms of the investment well how does that yes. relate to the actual investment optimizer because good question in the strategy, yes, we're talking about investments. But when we're saying that that it checks the box on velocity, it's not because it's tied in with investments. The investment is doing that job. But with the investment optimizer, what it's doing is where it assists in that velocity is you you invest. So let's let's take for example the, the ATM fund, right? That we that we talk mm-hmm. about frequently. You put the money in, and it creates this. Cash flow coming back for the next seven years. And it, it, based on the investment, you, you get your return of capital within about four years. And then the other three is, is just it's gravy. It's the extra return that you're getting back. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
2: as that money starts flowing back to you on a monthly basis, what's happening with that money. And most often we meet up when we meet people who are doing those types of investments, they're just capturing that inside of their savings account, checking account, money market account. And building it back up because, you know, the the $2,000 I get this month isn't enough to go back and put more into an ATM fund or put, you know, whatever. It's not practical to, to always be putting $2,000 chunks in all the different investments, right? I have to let it build to something meaningful and then I go and invest it. But what's it doing in the meantime while it's sitting there? For most people, it's earning 1%, half percent, you know, whatever, sitting in that kind of holding account. Well, what the Investment Optimizer does for us is it puts it in a place where it's earning five percent tax free, and and that's, that's at least very really like sure
1: at least five percent. Like yeah. I, I, we've been we've been so we've been programmed to say that for so long, Rod, because of the low interest rates. But yeah. man, I tell you what, the interest rates are moving upward, and certainly the same will be true is true of um the policy rates. Yeah. So that'll look more like six percent or you know if you again if you go back historically like in the 90s 80s and 90s it was like double digits at periods of time anyway but your point is still the same you can go in there and get what's a meaningful return and what's likely to beat kind of your your regular interest rates out in the marketplace mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay. Okay. Sorry.
2: Yeah. And then when you combine that with leverage and other things like that, because right now, as it stands right now, people will come us and they're like, well, G Rod, I can go get this high yield savings account over here for four and a half, five percent. So, or or I can get into a bond or I can, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. like comparing comparing with these other things. And that's where when you combine this concept with with the leverage and with the other things we're going to talk about there's not an asset out there that works in the same way because you're not going to put it in the high yield savings account and be able to loan against it and go out and do the same kinds of things as you Mm, can. That's
1: the tricky part, Rod. Oftentimes people start comparing the investment optimizer with the investment and they forget that it's an addition to the investment or it's a pass through that creates additional value. Right. Very important. Okay. Good, good thoughts. What other, are there any other elements we want to hit on and velocity before we get to pillar number three?
2: Maybe I want to give a, a an example of this and okay, uh, yeah. in the webinar, we show a side-by-side comparison where we say, Hey, what if you are using the investment optimizer compared with the same investments, but you're using just the regular savings account flowing it that way. Yeah. And the initial cash going in is a hundred thousand a year for five years. Mm-hmm. And we are investing in syndications, in multifamily uh, properties, et cetera. And when you play that out over the course of 20 years, by using the investment optimizer because of this concept of velocity, as, as well as the other things we talked about with the, the leverage and, and we'll talk about with cash flow and whatnot, you're, by the end of the 20 years, you, you've produced an additional $2 million more by using the investment optimizer than you would have using the savings account. So again that's another teaser go check it out at the webinar but but this is a, a an example where we actually play it out in using with actual investments creating that flow and again here where where the investment produced cash flow coming back to you you're capturing that in a place where it's doing something for you while you're waiting and building it back up to go into the next deal
1: same investment Different flow, higher return, more more money. Yep, Man, that's a good combination. Yep. Okay, Rod. Let's get into cash flow then. How in the world does the investment optimizer play into cash flow? And maybe I'll just remind people that cash flow is income minus expenses. It's what you have left over, right? As a simple example, if I've got uh, if I have a property that has a cash flow of or that creates a revenue of $1,500 a month and my um, loan on it cost me $1,200 a month, then I have a cash flow of $300 a month. Yep. So I just want to make sure that there is a differentiator between just money that's being put off from a, from a deal versus what's actually considered real cash flow. Okay, that yeah. being said, that's what cash flow is. How does the investment optimizer... And cash flow work together.
2: Well, it's, I mean, it's all built around the cash flow. in In the first two pillars we've talked about, I couldn't help but use that use this terminology because when you're using the leverage, it's working for you because you go out and invest with something, create cash flow, it's coming back. And maybe I'll contrast it with. uh, we, We did a an episode here a few months back about why we don't do infinite banking.
1: And Rob, this, that's think, been like a year ago, I think. Could be. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> the time time flies, my friend. Yeah. Uh, but yes, why we don't do infinite. And it's a good one. I thought it was a fun one.
2: Yeah. And, and really, the big difference is in infinite banking, they talk about using loans against your policy for all kinds of different things, primarily like consumer related stuff. Like you are going to go buy a car, you're going to go on vacation, use a loan from your policy and go mm-hmm. do that. And we're not saying you can't do that. But our focus with the investment optimizer is laser focused on using it with investments in a place where you're creating value, creating cash flow. Using that cash flow coming back is very different because that's the very mechanism that helps me pay simple interest on a decreasing value, replenish the opportunity fund to go invest in something else.
1: I realized Rod I need to correct myself. So earlier I said, earlier I said that the investment opter the investment optimizer basically is this policy structured a certain way you got right mm-hmm. it's it's not that that is one element of it in reality it's a strategy right yeah. and so when you talk about cash flow a big component of it is bringing the money I put the money into the policy I invest I draw a return I then flow the money back into the policy and I keep doing this circular flow of money where again just like I would like it sounds funny like oh I put money out and then I put it back but that's what I'd be doing anyway it's yep. the exact same thing yep. I just am flowing it now through the policy it's like the very definition of velocity and cash flow and that's exactly the way that it's being used so the emphasis I wanted to make here is that it's not just the policy it's the strategy and the strategy is to take the cash flow, run it through the policy, and do it repeatedly. And again, doing just that creates more money. It's yep. pretty wild.
2: Yep, yeah. And now we call that phase one. In other words, we're using it in our investing. Well, phase two is when you get to a place where maybe you're slowing down on your investing, you're not wanting to have to be as active in moving money from deal to deal and, and having to do all that. And so then in phase two... What we've done is we've built up a whole bunch of value inside of the policy so that when you get to this using air quotes retirement uh phase where you're slowing down on the investing you're turning more of that into just money you're living on instead of turning it back into new investments well in phase two you can tap into the cash value as a source of tax-free income in retirement so then it literally becomes a, a an additional cash flow this whole idea of of creating passive income to replace your active working income, well, this becomes a part of that.
1: Yeah, you know what? That is, again, this is one of those like ancillary benefits that we don't probably emphasize enough Mm -hmm. that these policies, a lot of people purchase a life insurance policy for the purpose of creating, exclusively creating retirement income, right? We do, we use a concept Right. We use a concept, we do it inside of a premium financing situation. So we're creating some leverage and like juicing it up a little bit. Yeah. But but we do that, right? But what's really unique about it is the 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 strategy gives you the opportunity to create the money, create the additional return in phase one. And then phase two, by the way, it's just kind of like a by the way. Oh, you can take a ton of cash flow out of it and still have a huge death benefit like it's it's really cool that way yep. and, and again I, I could be if I wasn't doing it inside the policy that additional stuff just wouldn't be happening right especially you think about a death benefit well mm-hmm. well let's just say theoretically that I, I mean if I'm just playing it out let's say that I was someone who put a hundred thousand dollars a year in and I did the kind of did the thing I created the the cash flow I brought it back around. Um, and by the way, it, it becomes one of those things where you almost need more capacity and more space. But what's mm-hmm. happening is is you're building the cash that you would have otherwise, except at an accelerated rate. In addition to that, now you're creating this huge death benefit, which even if you use a bunch of that cash, it's this massive death benefit that there is no cost to it in terms of again, you're we're literally saying get these benefits and get these benefits. Yeah. And that's why we talk about investing with benefits, right? Okay. Yep. Um, good, Rod. Tax optimization.
2: Okay. Pillar number four.
1: Pillar number four, tax optimization. We often talk about how the policy is designed, um, the ability to use it tax- for tax-free income. But let's just kind of get into a high-level overview of the nuts and bolts.
2: Yeah. And, and the real key here is, and and the reason why it's one of the six pillars, is that taxes are a high-income earner's biggest expense.
1: It's painful, Rod. It is painful. Yep. It's so hard to be so hard to be us high income earners, Rod. It's a hard life. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, but it really is painful. How much money you will pay to Uncle Sam without actual planning, preparation, and consideration of taxes. So, therefore, <laughs> what do I need to do? I need to make sure I'm optimizing it.
2: Okay, yeah, and right, keep going. And with what Tom Woodwright often talks about is that the uh, tax code is basically just a bunch of incentives that tell you what the government would rather you be doing. And if you do those things, then they'll, they have some tax benefits to go with it. Well, guess what? The government wants you to buy life insurance.
1: Oh man. Yep. They do give you a lot of benefits. Okay. What are they?
2: <laughs> okay. So they give you
1: a lot of tax benefits. What are they? Yeah.
2: So basically it uh, initially it acts like a Roth from a tax standpoint. In other words, money going into the policy is after tax as it grows inside of the policy it grows what we call tax deferred and all that means is that you earned interest you earned a dividend during the year but they're not sending you a 1099 at the end of the year that you have to pay tax on it grows tax deferred and ultimately as we're taking it out and using it both while we're investing in phase one we're accessing that money as, as a, a part of a loan so no, no tax on that one. And then even later when in phase two, when we talked about taking that money out as, as income and retirement, we can take it out tax-free as well. And then uh, phase three, when we die and the death benefit pays out, it pays out income tax-free as well. So they again, the government wants you to have life insurance. They've incentivized it so that it is built basically like a Roth without all the strings that it are, that come with a t- traditional kind of Roth plan.
1: It really is a Roth IRA on steroids, right? Because it's twofold, right? Okay. So when we talk about like the comparison between a Roth IRA, sometimes what ends up happening is people fall back into that trap of thinking, okay, well, the life insurance policy is earning, let's say it earns 6% and I get some tax benefits. And if I'm a high income earner, maybe I'm in the 25 or 30% tax bracket. Therefore, it acts more like a eight or 9% return, which is mm-hmm. which is a good return, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're looking at it and we're like, okay, well, how does that eight or 9% return stack up against what I could get in a non-qualified account in the market because I'm a high income earner and I've been phased out of the ability to put money in a Roth, yeah. right? Well, can I just tell you first, that is the total wrong way to look at it because something very different is happening. You're putting the money in the policy, Right but you're not leaving it there. Your investment opportunity is literally anything you want. You could, Rod, you could, everybody, you could put your money in the policy and then go invest it in the market if you wanted. Sure. Right? Most people don't, right? But you could. So what's really cool about it is, think about how much, how, like, Rod, I feel like in the high income marketplace and when we were at like PIMDECON and other places, it's, it's like anytime you can get, uh, tax-free income. Anytime you can get tax-free income, like they're like clamoring for it, right? And yet it's like sitting right in front of many other of faces to where, it, and it's not like, oh, I can only put like five or six thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. I don't even mm-hmm. know what the IRA limits are this year, but maybe it's you know sixty five hundred bucks. But I could put in. $650,000 uh-huh. and get all of the same benefits that I could get if a Roth IRA gave me the ability to do that. It's just it's crazy. Again, it's one of those things that sometimes I like feel like I'm beating my head against the wall because it's like if we just peel the layers back and understand it, man, from an from an from a tax optimization standpoint, particularly over over the long term, it's incredibly powerful. And we haven't even talked about the death benefit being you know, maybe the most effective asset in terms of passing on passing from one generation to the next. So it just has yeah. a myriad of benefits that, you know, are optimizing the tax situation.
2: Yeah. And you talked about how uh, it could work even with traditional investments. But fact is that in most cases, we're using it with alternative investments. And and why? Yeah. One of the big reasons why is because of the tax benefits that come with,
0: investing in real estate,
2: having a business, et cetera. And and I just want to be really clear on this because sometimes people get confused. They think that the tax benefits we're talking about now also apply to the investments they're making. And we're we're talking specifically about what's happening in the cash value of your policy and how that tax treatment is. When you take that loan and you go invest in whatever it is, the real estate or the ATM deal or whatever, you're following the tax rules related to that investment as it relates to whatever is taxable over there, which again, alternative assets bring bring that benefit with it. And so it's yep. it's just a different way of having tax op- optimization.
1: Yeah, good point. That's, that is important. And that is the way it would be different from like a traditional type investment situation where I put my money into a Roth 401k, I put it in the investments and it's kind of all working together. Mm-hmm. In this situation, like you said, the policy and the cash... That's it. It is running like parallel to one another. So it's a little bit unique. But again, um, I could go and do all of the exact same things I was doing, just running it through the policy. And what we're suggesting is doing that. will then make you'll make more money. Yep. Simple as that. Yep. Just by using the strategy, uh, paying simple earning compound. It's it's really kind of a cool thing. Yeah.
2: And here's hey. here's where we have another example that we show in in our webinars and whatnot. Uh, with with the ATM deal, if you look at just the pro forma of the ATM, yeah. it says you'll get about a 16.5% IRR, annualized return over those seven years as you're getting that cash flow. right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: When you add the depreciation uh, to that, it turns your 16.5% into 307 almost doubles the return that you're getting Wild. in that investment by adding that. And then when you add the investment optimizer in addition to that it puts the total return to about 38 and a half so
1: that's nuts
2: investing with benefits right taking a, an investment which is already pretty cool right 16 and a half percent is nothing to scoff at but turning that into 30 38.5 by tax optimization using investment optimizer that's pretty cool that that that's the scale that's the the magnitude of the of the kinds of things you can do with when you invest with benefits
1: okay rod we've gotten through the boring stuff i want to spend the <laughs> the majority of the pod on asset protection and estate maximization this is the reason that people listen to us yes right they want they want the no i'm just kidding this is the boring stuff but we are going to hit on it we're going to hit on these couple of things uh because they're important they're well so so asset protection right like think about the impact of not considering protecting your or like what it could be. I might go through my life and have no issues at all. Right. But I also could be one of those people who's unlucky and end up in an unfortunate car accident or um, for some reason I'm getting sued and I need whatever. Like there's, and of course, if you have money, we talk about this, some people with money, you are going to be more, of a target than someone who doesn't have money For It's sure. plain and simple. It's just the way the world works. So it becomes that much more important. That felt like that felt like too many words. It becomes yeah. more important, even more important that you do exactly that make sure you're protecting assets whenever and wherever possible. And one of the nice things about this strategy is the cash value is protected in most states. Talk a little bit yep. about what the asset protection component looks like.
2: If you're sued, if you have these kind of issues Christian was talking about, they're coming after your assets, there's a a barrier when it relates comes to the what you have in your life insurance policy. And state by state they they, they determine the the terms of that. There are many states where it's unlimited, like you can have as much as you want in there and it's it's 100% protected. There are some states where they have uh, a number, like a limit of how much of it is protected, and in some states it's kind of low, like California, uh it's like you know seventy five thousand dollars or something, and so it's yeah not, so it's not very not, meaningful. not terribly useful. Yep. But, but here, but,
1: Rod, this is where this is where we go back to what I was talking about earlier, where we're not talking about a life insurance policy, we're talking about a strategy, yeah. right? Like the life insurance policy in and of itself doesn't pay simple interest and earn compound. Mm -hmm. right? You have to do a component of that. Yeah. So it's, it's a strategy that we work in and the same thing applies here. Talk about, talk more about it.
2: Yeah. So uh, if you're in a state, so for example, like New Jersey doesn't have any asset protection
1: in life insurance.
2: It's kind of weird, right? All the other states do New Jersey. chooses. Rod,
1: (laughs) you failed, you failed our test. You said that, that the investment optimizer was going to check all the boxes and if I'm a New Jersey resident, what you're telling me is that it's not.
2: Okay. Now this is where we get to what you said. <laughs> it's a strategy, right? So that was because that's the, one of the pillars, right? Asset protection is one of the pillars. If you're in New Jersey or if you're in California and you're saying, okay, great.
0: I not have some
2: asset protection, but not very meaningful. Then uh, what I can do is I can combine it with other, other things. So for example by holding your policy inside of a trust that gives you that asset protection you get it or an llc there are other entities that we can have that create that that same barrier and so and and a lot of our clients are investing through an IR, uh, an llc already anyway or they're holding their assets inside of a trust and it just makes sense that the policy should be inside of the same place where they're doing their investing anyway so it does check the box as it relates to the overall strategy, where we say it's it's important enough. Do if it if it requires doing extra planning to put it inside of a an entity that creates that barrier, then it makes sense to do that.
1: Yeah, and the reality is is in order to to like maximize the asset protection component, that's the way to do it. And like I, I don't know, maybe I'm just. Maybe I'm okay, Rod. Here's I'm just gonna say it: if you're not willing to pay a couple thousand bucks, then you're for that kind of asset protection. You're kind of a cheapskate, <laughs> right?
2: Well, like, you're just leaving yourself exposed unnecessarily, for sure.
1: So, number one, you're a cheapskate, and number two, <laughs> you're leaving yourself like that's the 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 even more problematic issue. But again, you think about the cost benefit analysis, right? Like oftentimes we're talking about people who are putting six figures a year into the policies creating significant value. Like it just makes sense to, to take that extra step. Right. And that's something that if we're being honest, like we probably haven't emphasized in the past enough. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that we want to make sure we emphasize more because again, the life insurance policy has some of that, but it's not it's not really difficult to take another step and get the, that additional layer of asset protection that'll really, uh, you know, make things easier for you if and when that situation comes. Okay, yep. Rod, talk about. Oh, wait, is there anything else we want to hit on? Yeah, asset I think protection? I think one
2: last thing. We we focused okay. a lot on cash value, and because that's we're living right. That that's the the value that's in the yeah. policy. But this asset protection. Also applies to the death benefit. So, in other words, if I'm in the middle of a lawsuit and I pass away, and this death benefit pays out, it doesn't all of a sudden become exposed to it. And and I'll tell you this: as long as I don't commingle it with my other funds. So, as a general rule, mm-hmm. when you're setting when you're receiving a death benefit on on life insurance, set up a separate account to hold that. Or, or, or again, if you have a trust account or an LLC account or something like that, you can put it in that account. So it, it retains that separation because as soon as you commingle it, it loses that barrier.
1: Ah, interesting. Okay. Okay. Rod, we are finally to pillar number six. And I, I'm going to say, I think you have adequately, um, proven out pillars one through five. So let's, uh, let's see if we can finish strong with pillar six. Okay. Estate maximization. Um, This is one of them that most people think is kind of obvious, right? Like it's obvious in life insurance in the sense that there's a death benefit. Like Mm -hmm. there's an estate element that just exists naturally within it. The irony here, Rod, is that we too often neglect to emphasize the value that we get from a death benefit. And certainly again, like, most of the people that we talk to are wealth builders. They're people who want to create significant. um, They want to create a significant net worth. Maybe they want to be able to pass on generational wealth to their families, whatever. Like they're just, they're about building. Yep. So guess what? The chances are you're going to have an estate and the chances are, you're not going to want to have all of a good chunk of it. Go to the, go to the government. Right. And when I say a good chunk we're talking like 40, 50%, like, that can be the impact of not, you know, making sure that you're emphasizing estate maximization. Okay. So that's just from a general, like high-level reason to think about um your estate. But talk now, Rod, about how the policy plays into estate maximization and what we're talking about from from that standpoint.
2: Yeah, the, so the impact of that death benefit for in a lot of cases is that when that estate is is transferring from one generation to the next often it's real estate business it even could be you know stocks and you know, precious metals and other things like that and what's common among all of those things they're not liquid you would have to do you have to sell something to actually create some sort of liquidity on that but if i'm inheriting real estate if i'm inheriting a business i need cash right i need i need money with that to to do certain things well, death benefit is the cash, right? It's the It provides that liquid component to, and, and we refer to it as the most efficient way to transfer wealth. Sometimes it's a debate between cash versus like real estate with a step up in basis or things like that, right? But but the point is that it is, it just is doing things for you, liquidity, et cetera, that you can't, you just don't get with these other assets.
1: Well, and yeah, so like real estate has, And it is an incredible asset from a, from a passing on to the next generation standpoint, like that step up in basis is huge, Mm -hmm. right? It's makes it mad. It's just, it's crazy. I think about like, well, my, my grandpa recently passed away um, and he's kind of, you know, so we're getting a little bit of inheritance money coming from, from him and, and, I'm curious. I don't know the answer to this, but he bought he he bought like nine fourplexes, Rod. He bought them like fifty years ago, uh-huh. right? They probably were like he probably bought them for a few thousand bucks, like ten thousand uh-huh. yeah. dollars a unit or something like that, yeah. um, or for the whole fourplex. And you know now they're being sold for you know eight hundred thousand or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between getting the step-up and basis or if you would have, let's say, sold those prior to and, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's massive. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a crazy difference. So it's really, really impactful. Here's the one problem, Rod, and everybody. It's not liquid. You, yeah. you have the asset, but you've still got to sell it. And guess what? The IRS doesn't care. They don't care if it takes you six months or a year or two years to sell an asset and they don't care if you have to sell it at a discount to give them the money like they just don't care well life insurance is really powerful in the sense that it's passing on in the in that same way tax-free but it's just a liquid stack of cash i can get to Mm -hmm. and now i can like manage the rest of my estate so from that standpoint really really powerful from an estate maximization
2: yeah and one other thing to be clear on this is also depending on the size of your estate like if you are worried about estate taxes and your life insurance you own it personally well, that's just going to add to that estate tax in other words it if i own the policy personally when i die the death benefit lands in my estate first before the estate tax gets calculated so uh, as as we're doing these other planning for uh, estate planning trusts, usually particularly or the uh, vehicle of choice for that, then you want to consider that for your, your policies as well. And like I said, as it relates to the investment optimizer, it usually goes hand in hand because when you're setting up those trusts and you're moving assets out of your estate into an irrevocable trust, for example... That's also where you're going to continue to do your investing, so it makes sense. At the same time, you would be moving your policy into the irrevocable trust to be doing all of the to be working in conjunction with all your investing, all that cash flow, the things we've talked about previously. So, but it becomes part of that now. In in the course of doing this estate maximization, not only is it cash at the time of the estate transfer, but you can do it in a way where it's optimizing or minimizing, in this case, the
1: estate tax. Okay. Rod, I think that's it. I think you proved it. I think, Ooh. I think, uh, we knocked him out all six of them. We, I feel like you did have a little bit of an advantage and that you knew what the test was going in <laughs> I, plenty of time to prepare. Um, so maybe next time it'll be more like a pop quiz style. I'm going to keep you on your toes.
2: Okay. Well, here's what was cool for me. Okay. Uh, because yeah. when we, when we first uh, initially, and, and I should say we, I, it's you, When we created this whole invest with benefits concept and came up with the six pillars, you weren't building them around the investment optimizer or the capital avalanche or anything specifically about what we do. You're just saying, hey, here are the key principles that we focus on with invest with benefits. And it was then when later when we brought the two together, we said, "Okay, let's look at the investment optimizer. How does it stack up as it relates to this? And point mm. by point, we were able to to build that out. So, Man,
1: so that is a good point. And Rod, it reminds me of something we talked about. This is part one. Yeah. This is part one. So, if you enjoyed this, there is more to come. <laughs> uh, no, we're we're gonna break down how real estate check or what boxes like i'm not going to make any we, we have to go through and like evaluate this right do like ahead of ourselves before we've gotten there but we're going to figure out we're going to see how real estate checks the boxes and we'll probably take on a few other assets along the way too yeah. so part one investment optimizer we'll certainly do capital avalanche here and we'll definitely do real estate and then we'll just see where do we take it from there but Perfect. kind of a fun exercise yep okay rod well this has been fun man thanks for um proving us right i would have been really embarrassed had we gotten through it and you we'd find found out that it was like only three or four of the boxes Uh but i think i think we proved it out all right well thanks everybody for hanging out with us today and uh leave us a five-star review if you think we're any good that would be amazing and we will see you next week
0: thank you for listening to the money insights podcast To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.